Lord, we do thank you for, once again, giving us the provisions for this day, our daily bread, the ability to meet in a room that has air conditioning, Father, for those things that we take for granted and we are so used to. Lord, we are grateful that we have these things, that we enjoy these comforts. And we do pray that you would bless those who are less fortunate, those who are in other countries. I think of Haiti and how they met just under a tarp and it was hot and they met for hours and rejoiced and worshipped you and it was inspiring, God. I pray that we would be inspired to worship you as well this morning. Lord, that our time here together would be an opportunity that would not be wasted, an opportunity for us to avoid distraction, to to put our minds in a set place to you and what you would have for us. And I pray that you would speak to each of us here this morning. And I do pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, I want to wish you a happy Memorial Day. We are starting a new series. If you have your Bible, open it to Mark chapter 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and Alex will get you one. I've entitled this series, This Beautiful Mess. And this is actually taken from a book I read a few years back by Rick McKinley. He's a pastor in Oregon and the book is entitled uh, This Beautiful Mess. And it has to do with being aware of the kingdom of God and practicing its presence in our lives. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word kingdom, Mark chapter 1 is where we're opening to. When I hear the word kingdom, my mind goes to Camelot. I think of King Arthur, I think of castles, I think of knights in shining armor. That's my idea of kingdom. I mean, let's face it, we don't have royalty in the United States. We don't have kings, per se. In fact, that's kind of, isn't that one of the reasons we left England? We didn't want that kind of thing. I'm not a history buff, but I think that was something in there. And then there was a tea party or something. And we're having a tea party, too. Um, yeah, you're, going, you're scaring us, Sam. Your history is scaring us. But my idea of a kingdom is, is framed by those things that I have read. And really, the idea of a kingdom is just one step above fantasy many times. And so when Jesus brings this thought about the kingdom, where do our minds go? What do you think about it? And in chapter 1 of Mark, verse 16, actually verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus' first recorded words here in Mark's gospel 
are, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I have to be honest with you. I don't know how many times I've read through the Gospels and through the New Testament and hear this phrase, the kingdom of God or or the kingdom of heaven, and I just kind of slide past it. And my mind goes to this idea that, well, the kingdom of God, that's some spiritual place in the future. That's something that's going to take place in the by and by. It's off there. And so I don't really grapple with what it means. It's not something that I I dig into and and am puzzled. I just kind of scoot past it. I have to admit to you, I've done that so many times. In fact, when I read Rick's book a few years ago, it made me so aware of how I did this. And maybe it's not something you do as well. You hear the kingdom of God and you have this idea, oh yeah, God, his kingdom, you know, he's going to come back and set up his kingdom and that's off in the future. And maybe you've been in that place too where it's just something that happens in the future. But we're going to see that the kingdom of God, as we talk about it, has a lot more depth to it than something just in the future. We usually think of the kingdom of God or talk about it at funeral services. That's when it's applicable to us. Someone has just died. They've entered into eternity. That's where the kingdom of God is. And then we leave that idea when we go to the grocery store or when we have to go get gas in the car. And then the kingdom of God is, again, back there at that service. We talked about it. But it's not something that is on our minds currently. And yet Jesus comes out and he just says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Now, when he says the kingdom of God has come near, what he's saying is because the king is here, the kingdom comes with him. That's why it is near. The kingdom of God is near because I'm here and the king here brings the kingdom with him. And there's so many ways that this phrase, the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is used throughout scripture. The kingdom has come upon you, one passage says. Throughout the parables, he he gives us illustrations. The kingdom of God is like, and then he gives us parables. And we're going to go through a lot of those through this series illustrations of what is the kingdom of God like? And as we look at those parables, we're going to see that it's not just something in the future, that it is something that is actually taking place in the lives of human beings right now. There's one passage where Jesus is speaking with a man and the man gives an interpretation of the law that Jesus commands. And Jesus says to him, that you are not far from the kingdom of God. And so if he's telling him he's not far from it, we know he's not talking about a time. He's not talking about you're not far from it, you just got to die and then you'll be close to it. That's not what he meant. What he meant is your understanding and your belief has connected you to the place where the kingdom of God is. You're not far from it. It has to do with what he believes. And then there's one passage in Luke chapter 17 that's real interesting where Jesus says, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, 
nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. And so now he's placed the kingdom of God within us. And so when you start looking at all these things, it becomes, how do you grapple with all this stuff? There's a lot to try and put together and comprehend when we start talking about the kingdom of God. And so many times, well, you know, I'll read it, but I don't know. I'll just kind of keep reading and, and go on. Yeah, that was talking about the kingdom of God, whatever that means. But it is a focal point of Jesus' teaching. It's at the heart of what he came to proclaim. It's important to him, which means it should be important to us. At least I would think so. So when Jesus shows up, he is bringing heaven's response to the condition we're living in. We know that this world is messed up. We know that there are problems. There are political problems. There are financial problems. There are health problems. There are problems with people who are starving, people who are malnourished, people who are oppressed. There are so many problems in the world that we live in. It is a mess. And so when Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, he's saying this is heaven's response. This is heaven's rule into this mess that we find ourselves in. And how does heaven deal with the sickness? How does heaven deal with the brokenness that human beings have? How does heaven deal with the the bondage and with death? Well, Jesus brings that revelation of what heaven's response is to the condition that we find ourselves in. And to sickness, he brought healing. To brokenness, he brought wholeness. To sin, he brought forgiveness. And to death, he brought life. This is heaven's response to the mess that we find ourselves in. And when he says the kingdom of God is near you, let me show you what it looks like. Let's get heaven to break in and show us what is taking place. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Just to the right a little bit. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. Jesus is quoting from the prophets, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. What has he anointed him to do? Remember, the kingdom is being seen through the king. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Isn't that what we just read? The kingdom of God is near repent and believe the good news. To proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind. To set free the oppressed, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so this is the kingdom breaking through in the middle of this mess. This is how Jesus demonstrates what the kingdom looks like as it shows up 
where it is most needed. In these areas where there is brokenness, where we are captive, where we are blind, the kingdom shows up and it brings salvation. It brings wholeness. It brings restoration. It shows up in the middle of our need. It's heaven's rule being seen. And throughout the parables, we see Jesus giving illustrations to this. He came and demonstrated that heaven's rule will have the last word. Because can't we get so lost in the midst of all the mess? You guys ever get caught up and just think, this is it, life stinks, it's hard, then we die, and that's it. And you're going through difficult things, and all you can see is the gray cloud that's hovering over you. And you wonder, is it ever going to change? And it seems like this world has the last word. And Jesus shows up and he says, no, I have the last word. The kingdom of God has the final say. The kingdom of God is what is going to trump all the mess that we are dealing with. And it's going to live longer than it. It's going to surpass it. It's going to continue on much further than that. And this mess that we're living in is really just a vapor compared to the reality of the kingdom of God. Do we see that? Do we believe that? Or is it, again, just one step above a fairy tale? C.S. Lewis, in his writings, deals with this. The whole Chronicles of Narnia has to do with this reality that exists outside of the one that is here, and it's actually a stronger reality. It is more exciting. There's a life of excitement in this reality, and he's talking about this spiritual realm, this heavenly kingdom. He talks about it in his book, The Great Divorce, as well. That's not about marriage, and it's an incredible book if you haven't read it that there is a reality that is going to live longer and last longer and is of more substance than the mess that we live in. It's funny when you think back on just maybe where your grandparents were when they were growing up, you know, some 50 years ago, and you look at the world in their perspective, in their view, I saw somewhere online that the first TV, it was like a three by five screen. But the box was huge. It was like five foot and probably weighed 150 pounds to, to look at this little screen that was black and white. And I don't know if it, what kind of sound it had. And you think back and you think, oh man, that's crazy. Telephones were connected to the wall. You could only go so far. And we look at life and how they saw things there. Their idea of the environment was totally different than ours. Their idea of medicine was totally different than ours. Their idea of nutrition, totally different than ours. That's why the life expectancy wasn't as long as it is now. But the food tasted good. And you look back and you think, oh man, they believe such 
foolish things. They were caught up into their culture in, in ways that they just didn't know what we know today. And you look at that and we can chuckle and laugh at their TV screens as we have now, you know, the 70 inch plasma or LED and we have the surround sound and we have cordless phones and we have wireless and we can face chat to people who are in Australia. And you think they would have no idea. Those things would have just blown their mind. It was like Star Trek to them. And then think about what are our great-grandkids going to think about us? I'm still waiting for my hoverboard. (laughs) They're going to look back and say, yeah, can you believe they drove in automobiles? Or who knows what they're going to think? We don't know. But there is going to come a time when the way we're living right now is going to be obsolete. And a lot of the things that we do are going to seem foolish and they're going to seem strange and distant. Why would we then have so much stock in the way things are? Why would we look at the way things are and invest so much of who we are in them in light of looking at the truth that is told throughout Scripture that has survived and have served for mankind so well in so many ways? Why would we negate that to hold on to this passing phase that we're in. What is truth? What is going to last? What is of substance? What is this kingdom of God that is near, that is close to us, that breaks in and demonstrates to us in the middle of this mess what God is like? Because this world is messy. And we don't like mess. Christians don't like mess. We like to define things. We want to clean things up. We, we want to set things right. We expect things to be a certain way. We expect people to be a certain way. But people are messy. But we don't want, we, we want to know that people are problems. We want to know that people have issues. But we just don't want them to show us the issues. Just keep those hidden Put on a good front so that we don't have to deal with your issues. Why? Because we want to put on the face, we're spiritual, we're holy, we, we have it together. And so certain things we, we label and we try and vilify and then we make, these are the bad things, but pride and coveting, well, those things run pretty rampant. And you see, we, we want to address the things that we can address and we can label, but we don't want to deal with the things that we have to deal with in ourselves. And that's where the kingdom shows up, is in that mess. And I love the title, A Beautiful Mess, because you think, how can those things go together? But that's exactly how life is. Exactly. I had to be, I mean, I got to be at the birth of my children. (laughs) 50 years ago, it was not so. 
I was there and it was amazing. When the twins were born, our first two, I was there in the operating room. My adrenaline was pumping. I was so excited. Kareen wasn't as excited as I was. <laughs> and she was there on the table and they put that orange stuff on her and they put this like saran wrap over her because she had a cesarean. And I was watching the whole thing. And it was the most amazing thing I have ever seen. It was also the messiest thing I've ever seen. It was bloody. And when they pulled out that first baby, I was like, oh my gosh, I knew something was in there, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> I hadn't seen it. I knew she wasn't just eating a lot. I knew something was going on. I saw the baby move. I felt him move. And then when they brought the first one out, I was like, oh my gosh. You're telling me there's another one in there? That's incredible. And after they got both the boys out, they were continuing and they had to take, excuse me here. You know what? I remember people would come up to me, you know, at parties and stuff. And they go, oh, we have pictures of our baby when I gave birth. You know, do you want to see it? Like, no, that's okay. I don't want to see it. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, it's like, oh, don't give me that. Now I have that stuck in my head. We didn't want anyone else in there. This was for us. But it was messy. As they had to stitch her back up. And they had to put everything back where it was. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. But it was bloody. It was messy. There's this stuff called placenta. You don't even want to know what that stuff looks like. <laughs> It's amazing. And you see, it's in this mess that the beauty of God shows up. It's this man named Peter who denies that he knows Jesus after walking with him for three years, after saying, if everyone else leaves you, I'll never leave you. I'll die for you. And then he denies Jesus. It's in that picture that we see the beauty of God restore a man who had just denied the Lord who he swore he would never deny. It's the Samaritan woman who, who's at the well who has had five husbands and is living with some guy now who then becomes a worshiper of God. It's, it's at that place that we see this beauty come up. It's this man named Saul who's going around persecuting and imprisoning Christians. And then he becomes one. And it's amazing. And I look at my life and I think of all these areas of my weakness, of my frailty, of my sinfulness, of my short-sightedness, of my pride of my arrogance and then i see these glimmers of god's grace and beauty and chastisement and love and they start changing who i am making me someone else the person i would like to be but don't know how to be 
And it's in this area of the mess that this beauty starts showing up. It's the light coming through the clouds. The kingdom of God breaking through the mess and saying, I am real. I am near. And I think we lose focus. We lose sight of this so many times. We are blind to that. And we live as if the kingdom of God is in the by and by. It's that spirit world somewhere. When you die, you get the kingdom of God if you're a good person, if you accept Jesus, and that's how it goes. But it's so much more than that. Being aware of the kingdom of God and these things, how it shows up in our lives, how the beauty of God takes place even in the midst of the mess. The kingdom of God is the living, breathing presence and purpose and reign of God on our planet. It's beautiful. It can't be reduced to a formula. We can't explain the kingdom of God in seven easy steps. This is what the kingdom of God is. We'd like to go to theology and they'll help you to put it down into points. But you see, theology is great, but it's kind of like grammar. Grammar helps you to read and write, but grammar will never be able to put together a meaningful sentence. Grammar can't produce that. It just helps us to interpret that. But then comes along some poet musician who starts freestyling or rapping, and he throws grammar out the window, and then you got 10,000 people who identify with it. What happened to my grammar? Uh, We didn't need it. Why? Because it was living. It was something, it was an expression. And what we want to do so many times is learn about the kingdom of God instead of experience the kingdom of God. Instead of it breaking through and being a part of our lives. You know, you can take a body and you can dissect it, but it's not going to give you the beauty of what life is. Dissecting a body isn't going to tell you what it's like to be alive. If you get a piece of brain and put it in formaldehyde and study it, you're not going to find out what it means to have a close friend, what it's like to fall in love, what it is to put your toes in the sand and how it feels good, or a cup of coffee in the morning, what it does to you. You'll never be able to learn what that is. You have to experience it. And I think so many times we just want information about the kingdom of God and Jesus is trying to get us to recognize that it is a reality and it is near. In fact, you're closer to it than you think. In fact, it might even be within you. It's that close. And that's why when it came to talking about the kingdom of God, Jesus didn't give us the seven steps. What he did was he gave us a gallery of pictures and stories. Because those have 
more emotion. Those have a, a broader sense to it. Those have the ability to imagine, not just information. And think about this. God stood before us in human form. And he told story after story after story, giving us an understanding of who God is, what God's kingdom is like, helping us to understand that the dumbest guy in the room, which would probably be me, gets in. That it's not based on your nobility. It's not based on your learning. It's based on God's love and favor. Gave us understanding of who Jesus is, what his kingdom is like, what it looks like. Understanding. And then we hear the disciples say, Jesus, why do you talk to them in parables? And it's almost like, how else can I convey what a living kingdom is like except in stories? How can I give you information and you take that information and make it some kind of litmus test and you dissect it and you put it in the formaldehyde? It won't express adequately what the kingdom of God is like. And so what I need to do is give you stories I need to make your mind wander. I need you to think about what it's like when you have a son and he, he wanders away and when he comes back. That the kingdom of, of God is like that. That the kingdom it, it evokes an emotion, it evokes a response, and you think, oh my, I had no idea that God cared that deeply. Oh, I had no idea that the kingdom of God was so close. And he's revealing to us the rule of God as it's breaking through in our lives. Many times I think we can be like the people who sat and listened to Jesus. They sat on the hill, they got a, they got a free lunch. He fed 4,000, 5,000 of them. They sat and said, this is cool, free lunch. And then they got up and they left the king there at the hill and they went their own way. I think a lot of times we, we can come to church and we can come and listen, maybe get free donuts. We think this is cool. And we hear someone talk about the kingdom of God and then we leave and we go home and that's where... We leave the kingdom there and we go on and live our lives when the king is still present. You see, Jesus can't be separated from this kingdom. We can't leave the king behind. What if Jesus was never meant to be separated from this kingdom? Not then, not now, not ever. What if God broke into our world back then with this revolutionary message of truth with life and freedom that his followers today could still have. But many of us, what we do is we take this truth and we park it like a Chevy in our backyard that doesn't run anymore. 
And you can see it on Fontana's Road when you're going down the tan. It's in someone's backyard on blocks. It doesn't run. doesn't do anything. And we take the, the kingdom of God and we set it aside. And it's not active. It's not alive. And we've parked it in the backyard. What if we have run off with the teacher's sheet music and we squabble over all the notes, but we've never really listened to the symphony. We, we debate about theology. We talk about things. We talk about all this. We squabble over all these nitpicking truths because we have the book and we want to dissect the book, but we've never really heard the music that was written because we are not living in an awareness that the kingdom of God is here breaking through and it's going to do it through you. It's going to do it through me. You see, there were some people who heard Jesus, said, man, that's great stuff. That's cool. And then they went away. And there were other people who heard Jesus and they brought their children who were possessed and diseased and broken. There were people who brought their friends who were lame and couldn't walk. There were, there were women who were prostitutes and they anointed his feet with oil and cleaned them with their hair. And, and those people found wholeness. Those people found forgiveness. Those people found restoration. Those people connected to the kingdom, to the king. They didn't walk away. They actually... We're near the kingdom of God. Which people are we? Are we hearing the information and we're walking away? Or are we bringing our brokenness? Are we bringing our children? Are we bringing our friends, those who are hurting? Are we bringing our sinfulness? Or are we putting on a pharisaical show? And the kingdom of God is trying to break through. It is near. The king has come and he is alive still. And in this mess of a world that we live in, his beauty shows up in the lives of those who come to the king. His life is seen in them. Is his life seen in us? Is the kingdom of God near to us? The next few weeks, we're going to be seeking the, the kingdom in these word pictures, in these stories. And it's not going to be a theological series. And so it might be a little scary. It is for me. As we look at how Jesus portrayed the kingdom. And we're going to do our best. I'm going to do my best not to make it something about step one, step two, step three. I, I just want to look at how does the kingdom show up in these areas of our life? How does it show up in these places that we live? And ask ourselves the question, is it showing up within us? Because the king has come, 
and he is near. You know, back in Mark chapter 1, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is near. And then he says, repent and believe the good news. When I hear the word repent, it's kind of like a dirty word. I don't like that word, repent. You repent. I just get all tweaked inside. And immediately I think, oh, repent. Okay, there's sins I've got to confess and deal with. But repent and believe the good news. You see, what might need to happen here this morning is you just need to repent of not believing the good news. You need to repent that you just don't believe. Because Jesus is saying, hey, the kingdom is near. You need to turn around and believe it. He doesn't give us information. Here's why you should believe it. Here's my apologetical discourse on why the kingdom of God is a reality and you need to go. He doesn't go there. He just says, repent and believe the good news. He's saying, this will be good for you. This will give you hope. This will give you restoration. This will give you, you're really going to want this news. It really is good. You need it. You need to repent and believe it. And then verse 17, he goes on and he says, come and follow me. He he just expects it. Hey, repent. Believe this good news that the kingdom is near. And follow me. And he says, I will send you out to fish for people. Follow me and I'll make you a part of this kingdom. And so in the weeks to come, that's exactly what we're going to do. I hope we can repent, believe this incredible news, and follow him. That we have a deeper understanding of what the kingdom of God means to us here today. Let's pray. Lord, how tragic it would be if there was good news within our reach, but we never took hold of it because we believed it was a fairy tale, because we didn't repent. because we turned and walked away. How tragic it would be if what our very souls needed the most was so near to us, but we did not have eyes to see, that we did not have ears to hear and understand. That as you were speaking, you were speaking life And we were not listening. God, as you have brought it to my heart, my own disbelief, my own sinfulness in not acknowledging this kingdom, of it not being a reality in my life the way it should, I pray that you would bring to us as a community, 
an awareness that not only is the kingdom near, but that we are a part of it. That we represent you in it, or at least we can. That you've extended this invitation to us. That as you have come in, the king, the kingdom comes with you. And now you invite us to be a part of it. And Lord, in the middle of this mess, this world that we live in, with all the hardship, with all the brokenness, with all the ugliness, Lord, may we see your rule in our lives. May it take root and may it bud forth life. May it bring out of us hope. May it bring out of us restoration, repentance. God, I pray that this would be a first step in acknowledging and recognizing you a little bit deeper, a little bit more clearly. Grasping, Father, a little bit more intimately your words for us. May we not look at your stories and parables as mere theological teachings. May we enjoy that cup of coffee. May we experience the sand in our toes. May we experience the life that you, the King, give. For we ask it in your name, King Jesus. Amen.